Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right, what's going on? Welcome to Off the Bench. Raja's out today. We've got our boy Tommy Tran in for him. Should be a fun show. Pumped up. Uh, let me just show you our little rundown here. I'm give you a little inside look. <laughs> See what it says right there? On Put the it up in big font. There you go. Weed. See that right there? That's what we're talking about today. Uh, we're going to get to that a little bit later on in the show. Uh, Chris Long had some interesting comments. The recently retired Philadelphia Eagle uh, with his comments on marijuana use in the NFL. I think that could be a fun conversation, although I am getting skewered on Twitter mm. from some comments that I made on Twitter, which it's the good and the bad of social media. You put something out there. There's no context. It's only you know a certain amount of characters, and people make assumptions. They put you in a box. I think when we actually have a little dialogue, I think people will be surprised about it. So hopefully they stick around for that. Um, more speaking of weed, we can do more on Drake, who was on the sidelines of the uh, Raptors, because uh, not everyone loved that, including several Milwaukee Bucks, including their head coach. We'll get break that down. And LeBron, could he finish his career in L.A.? That and more, all coming up on Canel and Bell tonight. Though we have Raptors Bucks. Um, I love this series. Like I, I thought we got way too. Bucks centric. Bucks are going to the finals. Bucks could beat the Warriors. All this stuff, and the the series hadn't even gone back to Toronto yet. And as there's old saying, the season the the series doesn't truly start until a team loses at home. And so it's tied up two two. Now it becomes a best of three. And I think this is a really compelling series. I I know Toronto is still a heavy underdog. I know, and I I would pick the Bucks too. Right, but. I think we're sleeping on Toronto a little bit, and I think this is going to be competitive. I think it probably goes seven. Yeah, a couple things here. I think, you know, your, to your point, it's like, man, like, Bucks go 2-0, and they're looking good, and we're already kind of pinning them as being Eastern Conference champs, although they've never been there before. Giannis hasn't been there before. Mike Budenholzer, of course, uh, maybe as an assistant, but not certainly as a head coach. And I think what happened is, you know, with that, the way they look, especially with the Raptors, Kyle Lowry at 30 in game one. Everybody thought that was their best chance. And then you go back to Toronto and then, you know, there's also that cliche of how role players play on the road and how they play at home. And so what we saw in the last two games, especially in that double overtime game and then in game four is that Toronto's bench played really well in game four. And then Milwaukee's struggled, especially with the likes of, of Eric Bledsoe didn't play well and he's been struggling. So the thing now moving forward as you go from a best of seven to the best of three is Milwaukee doesn't have to win in Toronto to win the series, which is beneficial for them and a big reason why they got home court advantage. The other thing for me tonight is just how healthy is Kawhi Leonard. Yes, like, that's my biggest concern. Yeah, and that's the thing because he he has been basically 1A with Giannis Antetokounmpo. They've kind of canceled each other out. And as we're taking a look again, you know, how is he going to play after playing 52 minutes in game three in that double overtime? Again, though, he just doesn't look like he has – that same explosiveness. Now his production is still there, and, and actually, you know, 19 points is something what we look at in the box score. But again, when you just watch the game and you watch Kawhi, he just doesn't look like the same claw guy. And so you wonder how healthy he'll be. And as the series progresses, how much of a factor that will be. Uh, so a couple things. One, I like looking for value. I don't like taking the favorites to win the series. The Bucks are minus two sixty. The Raptors are plus 220. I was really tempted to take the Raptors. The reason I'm not is because of what you were just saying about Kawhi Leonard. There's something about 
when he came down from that dunk from uh, on Giannis, when he came down a little bit uh, gimpy, when you hear them talking about him, when you consider their plan all year was to rest him to make sure he wasn't fatigued, now you don't have that choice. You're only getting one night off. You know, you you have to go out there and play. You can't afford that. Um, and to your point about the bench coming up big for Toronto, it's interesting. I learned this from Raja a lot, is that when you – it's the home team always. The role players always play better uh, at home, in their home com- comfy confines, uh, the fans are behind them. Whatever reason, they just feel more confident. The role players play better when they're in their co- home court. That's why I would lean towards Milwaukee because they'll get the game seven in Milwaukee. Where in that situation, I would trust them. But you do have Kawhi with more experience. They've got a little bit more experience on Toronto playing in the playoffs, playing this deep in there. They've been there before. A lot of these Milwaukee guys haven't. I think that that's the thing to me to watch for in Game Five tonight is how does Milwaukee respond? You know, they got punched in the mouth. They 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 looked awesome. They came out and they really gave some potential knockout blows. Now they got hit in the mouth themselves. How do they respond to it? And that's the one thing around Giannis and how Toronto guards him. We just saw the graphic, again, when we talk about how healthy Kawhi Leonard's going to be, you know, how will he be the Giannis on-ball defender, especially in crucial situations in the fourth quarter and potentially overtime? And that's the thing. Again, so... You know, I was with Roger earlier this week on Monday. You were gone, uh, paying, playing Beth Page Black, by the way, which we'll maybe bring up later on about how that experience was. And I know you already brought it up, but basketball wise, what Toronto was doing is, is collapsing on Giannis and forcing the other guys to shoot. So you have Brooke Lopez, Malcolm Brogdon, Chris Middleton. Middleton had a good game finally last game, but that's the thing until, you know, in games one and two in Milwaukee, they were making those threes yep. and then three and four, they weren't making them as much. So again, basketball, Game of adjustments. You keep you keep going and hammering what works until something changes. So they're going to collapse on Giannis. But I think now they're at home. The likelihood of these guys, the role players, to start shooting the three will be a little bit better here tonight. I don't think coaching matters that much in the NBA during the regular season. I've even joked around with Raj on this. Like I think I could coach the Warriors to a title. They are that good. But in a series like this, this is where the little adjustments, defensive adjustments, how do you respond, all those types of things, this is where I think the coaching is going to come into play, where you're going to see that importance of the in-game, in-series adjustments that both teams are going to have to make. Debo sent me a t- uh, text uh, here on Gchat, and it said, really could be 3-1 in Toronto's favor because they had that game one where they had the big lead, but I would counter with game three and double right. overtime. There were a couple times, there were a couple calls, Giannis fouls out, that they might have had that one. So I think 2-2 is a pretty fair assessment and a pretty even balance of where the series is and why it's compelling. The funny thing is uh, how close these two teams are to one and two in the Eastern Conference during the regular season. Have you looked at the series price for the Warriors in the NBA Finals? Like, like they are favored over the Bucks, but then it, it's like exponential against the Raptors. It is. I was Vegas looking for that the other day. So it is. There is a massive difference. Yeah, there is a big difference between Warriors Raptors and then Warriors Bucks. I think it's a much clo- Vegas thinks it's a much closer series if it's the Bucks. Now, obviously, a lot of it has to do with matchups and everything like that, right? Because I mean, they don't have somebody for Giannis, right? But they, just the perception and just course. sort of setting out there shows the discrepancy of what Vegas thinks the two teams are. So. What do you think tonight? Who do you think gets game five? I'm going to take, I think the Bucks win, but I'm going to take the Raptors plus seven. That's a big number. And I know they've had a couple blowouts in this series, but as it sits here now, this is what I do a lot on this show though. Cause I don't do a lot. Like I like to see where a lot of the money is coming in the public money. Yeah. So I wait as you get more intel on those bets. Right. So I reserve the right to change, yep. but sitting here now, my hunch tells me to take Toronto plus seven. I like Toronto, although I may like. 
first gonna... half a little bit more, only because like I think I think that they're going to put their best foot forward in the first quarter, first half, and try to make this a game. And I think at some point in the second half, or even if the first half, if they get blown out, like they're just going to pack it in and save it for game six. I know our producers, all of them, Coca, Debo, all of them, they hate when I have. They th- like, I'm not texting <laughs> anybody. Up, you're looking up I'm info, looking up right? research, yes, right? You're so up as info. of now, it is pretty split whether you take the over under or Milwaukee. Right now, 56% of the bets are on Milwaukee, 59% of right. the money. That's not overwhelming to me, where it's glaring like, oh my gosh, you got to jump on the other side, right. but at least helps me a little bit on Toronto. That's where I'm leaning there. Plus four uh, Drake, and a half in the first half, by the way. Oh, I kind of yeah, like That's that. what I like. Yeah, I like that too. I might have to jump on that. Um, so we did a lot on Drake yesterday. It was a bigger part of a national discussion as everybody was kind of disgusted by Drake's action. I'll say this. My radio show, we did two hours yesterday. We took a lot of phone calls on it. A lot of Canadian callers called in. And even in Canada, I think it's probably 70-30 that 70% of Canadians and Toronto Raptors fans don't love Drake's antics on the sidelines. It was pretty interesting. Like, I was very, um, you know, curious what they would feel if it was just, hey, it's blanket. Right. We love Drake. He represents the six. He's Canadian, so he can do whatever he wants. I don't think anybody likes this. You know who really doesn't like it? Ooh. Uh, Budenholzer, head coach, doesn't like it at all. He said, uh, in part, there's certainly no place for fans or whatever Drake is for the Raptors on the court. There's boundaries and lines for a reason. Totally agree with him there. I thought this, so it's a very tricky situation for Adam Silver and the NBA, right? Because they like to view themselves as younger, relevant, forward thinking, um, cool, progressive, all those things. And Drake fits exactly the fan base that they want to reach. So they can't, I don't think they can do anything. They can't publicly reprimand him because if Drake sours on the NBA, like they could potentially turn off some of their fan base, right? Um, so I think it's a really tricky situation. The Raptors, I don't think they're going to do anything. Did you see where they gave him a $700,000 jacket before the game? Really? The owner did? Yeah. Like this diamond crusted jacket. Right. So I think they kind of like it. There's no way Nick Nurse likes being no. downgraded by seeing him come up and that. It was a little rub on the back, whatever, but it just, it was degrading to him. It made him look less than a head coach. This has sort of become a perfect storm of everything that you don't want to happen. But here's the problem, right? Like, you have Toronto as a, a franchise that is now getting to places which, you know, they've been before, obviously, with LeBron James. But they're, 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 they're on pace to have their best season possibly ever. Yep. And Kawhi Leonard's a big part of that. But then also, yeah, you mentioned Drake. He's become the super fan for that team and for the entire country of Canada. I'm not surprised that the callers that called in said maybe that he's not reflective of what we are, of what we are, and what we do. I'm not good at judging age in voice, right. but I would guess they were majority over okay. 45, over 50. Non-Drake the people that didn't listeners. like it. Exactly. Okay. I would say the younger Fans in Toronto probably love Drake. And again, that's where the NBA wants to capture the younger audience. But here's the problem, too, because we've mentioned it and talked about it before about fan interaction with the Russell Westbrook issues this season. And think of, like, super fans in general, right? Like, think of Jack Nicholson. Think of Penny Marshall. Think of Spike Lee. Like, they are super fans, and they've been super fans much longer than Drake. When's the last time you ever remember them massaging shoulders of a head coach never or doing anything out of bounds out of the realm of being what a normal fan right. yes they get perks because they're a you know, celebrity well, spike lee would go up to reggie miller and like if you well, yeah, but, big, I mean, but that's on that's, the bench that's right. separated he's, he's within his space up. of his, his <laughs> exactly feet, right and then you have drake though literally on the baseline 
going out roaming. And then what happens though is that I think you know he's was that guy. Then he started you know putting one toe out. Absolutely, foot out. He's pushing the envelope. And then nobody reprimanded him. And then look, and then right there, you know the now he's just out doing thing? this whole thing, and no one stopped it. And now, now how do you stop it? It's almost he's almost grown too powerful. To Here's what you do. Here's how you do it. Here's how I think you do it. You, if you're Adam Silver, you call the refs and you say, hey, you got to have a chat with Drake. We're going to do this behind the scenes, but you're going to give him a warning before the game. Say, hey, if you go, if you cross the line and whatever, if you step foot on the court, if you step foot across half court, like there's got to be some sort of boundary that's set out for him. We're going to give you a tech because all of a sudden you talk about like if you give buckets to the other team, which is probably what should happen because they can't find them. Like when Mark Cuban, you know, famously goes out there and rips the refs and he, he's getting fined 250 grand. Like sure. he's getting the big fines and now Drake would probably pay him, wouldn't care, but they've got to do something. Here's the power of Drake. Uh, Giannis's rep for Octagon sent out a tweet. Giorgio's Dimitriopoulos, I think is his name on Twitter. And he ripped Drake, right? He said, imagine a gig and an athlete on VIP seats right next to the band. Uh, st- stands up on stage just to show off their entire game. No one cameras are on him. Occasionally even massaging the singer. Security to him both allow it. Never seen anything, uh, would never allow it. Never seen anything as disrespectful as this before. Do you know what happened to that tweet? What happened? Deleted. Like he changed, like that's the power of Drake because mm. it's not popular to crush Drake and to say he can't do this. So the rep for Giannis, who's trying to defend his client. Right. Calls him out, but then backs off of it because he doesn't want the negative. Exactly. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out. What if Drake hops on his private jet and goes into Milwaukee and tries to pull that crap? I hope no, he no. does. I wish he would. <laughs> the Deer District awesome. would not let him do it. <laughs> no, man. they the definitely would. would not. Uh, so we'll have to keep an eye on that game six when we head back to Toronto. Uh, college basketball, we had some interesting news. Uh, when Coach Beeline left for the Cleveland Cavaliers, it was a pretty much a shock to a lot of college basketball fans, but it left an opening for a really good – basketball job in large part to uh beeline for for having that uh so they uh have made some interviews who was the uh the coach that turned him down it's, it's uh the the coach of providence Cooley. oh uh, yeah ed cooley uh turned him down yeah uh so then they go on they move on to juan howard part of the fab five had an illustrious career in both college and the nba played 19 seasons eight different teams has been an assistant coach with the heat see him on the sidelines all the time there they make that hire it's eerily similar to the Jim Harbaugh hire. And I think Michigan prides itself more on hiring alums than anybody else. Michigan men. Michigan, like there's no other term. There's no Buckeye men. There's no Seminole savior. Like there's, <laughs> there's just no other school has it like Nobody cares that. about legacy hires. Man. Right. And it's not to take away from Juwan Howard. I think he's qualified. I think he's, uh, he's a good hire, but it's just, it seems unique to Michigan that they're the school that always hires from within. So the one thing when I, you know, heard about it and, and saw it on Twitter, I was already off my shift here at HQ, but like, at least Jim Harbaugh had head coaching experience. Yes. In the collegiate level. In the collegiate level. The Juwan Howard thing to me is interesting. I think, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of already people apprehensive about the hire. You laid it out there. No head coaching experience. Yes, he's a longtime NBA vet and he's a Michigan guy, but also how is he going to recruit? That is the college game, especially in basketball. I mean, look, football too, but I mean, basketball matters more to have the guys. And we're seeing what Penny Hardaway's doing, Jerry Stackhouse at Vandy. Here's the thing though. I think the timing of Beeline leaving really hurt Michigan and probably why Ed Cooley said no, because like the timing.
timing, you don't get to do a normal coaching search. Most of the coaches that you would even look at, like a Nate Oates, mm-hmm. already left for a new job. Guys have already left for an Eric Musselman left for a new job. So I think at the end of the day, here's the thing. They're swinging for the fences. They're hoping for a, a, a home run, so to speak, here, or a slam dunk here as a basketball term. If things somehow don't work out, I, I think they're going to go back and say, well, the timing of this kind of handcuffed us a little bit because I know there's a lot of big question marks, and we have this graphic here, Patrick Ewing. Not so great, right? Chris Mullen just left, and his record, 59-73. and 73. Yep. The only one is Penny Hardaway, but Penny Hardaway has those AAU connections. He knows how to recruit. He knows how the landscape works. I don't know if Jawan Howard does, so the important thing for him will be, almost like Herm Edwards at ASU, yep. is to use that pro experience, but you need to surround yourself with college guys, specifically recruiting guys. You know what the massive difference is in those three coaches that we just showed up there? The expectations at those programs was, hey, man, just make us relevant again, right? right? Mm-hmm. At Michigan, you have to maintain the level that they've been at that's been set, and that's what's going to make it that much tougher for Jawan Howard. Um He's got two sons who currently uh, play here in uh, Fort Lauderdale University School in South Florida. Uh, also, in the same school as the number four recruit in the class of 2020, Scotty Barnes. Okay. Vernon Carey was also there. He graduated. He's going to Duke. They had an incredible program. Um, you wonder if that comes into play. Uh, his younger of the two sons, Jet, is currently playing in a U16 USA basketball camp. So maybe you're not only getting Juwan Howard, you're also getting his sons, which could be great players. Right. But it's the same thing. You mentioned it in college football and college basketball. X's and O's matter somewhat, but it is a talent acquisition business. If you don't have the players, you can't compete. And in, especially in basketball, when all it takes is one or two, studs like one and done type players you all of a sudden can be contending for a national championship that's the difference so that to me is the most important thing and i do think that's where you can overlook some of the coaching inexperience and saying well all right we can figure that out we can give him some assistance with some experience but if he his name brand recognition can get some of those premier top tier recruits in here then it's worth the risk that you're going to take. And we'll wrap things up with what you mentioned. The expectations at Michigan are going to be sky high. You're talking about two Final Fours this decade. And that's the thing. It's like, for instance, again, to use the football term, like let's just say – you know, Jim McElwain went to Florida. Well, you know, obviously he got his licks in as a, as a coordinator, then went to Colorado State, then came back. It's not like Juwan Howard's done that route. He hasn't gone to a, a mid-major school. He hasn't gone to a, a G5 type school to get that experience. He's jumping right in, man. And that is, and that is going to be very tough for him. This is where his staff matters. They've got to get some coaches on his staff that can help him with college basketball, college basketball players, college basketball scheduling, college basketball rules. 20-hour rule, all those types of things, academics, his staff is going to be really crucial uh, for him to uh, moving forward. All right, we got this list that I want to bring up again. Uh, the NBA GM list is what we'll call it right now. If he gets the Michigan job, 11th current college basketball coach to also appear in NBA GM. You remember that? Oh, game? yeah, for sure. <laughs> That was the dude with the voiceover that was oh, like, <laughs> he's on fire. Right, well, yeah. Boom, shakalaka. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're yes. up shooting this. And if you got like three in a row, you're shooting flame yes, freeze. Yes, that was awesome. And so, uh, boy, that list keeps growing. That also means we're getting older, man. <laughs> it does. That was an awesome game. I love that one. 
Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. All right, welcome back to Kennell and Bell, hanging out with Tommy Tran and Faraja today. Uh, LeBron James uh, has kind of been put on the back burner a little bit. I mean, never is on the back burner, but the rest of the dysfunction within the Lakers organization has taken center stage. And, of course, the conversation means what does this mean for LeBron's future? There's been trade speculation. Would he want out? What, you know, how hard is it going to be for him to lure free agents, mm-hmm. uh, to LA to join him there? Um, Joe Varden was on the, uh, Athletics Tampering podcast and had this to say. He said he's so happy, LeBron, to be living in LA. This is where they want to be. Talking about him and his family. LeBron does not want to play anywhere else. I would be shocked if at any point for the remainder of his career, so long as LeBron James Jr. is in high school in greater LA, that he would have any interest in playing anywhere else. I would say I agree. Like I when he went to LA, one of the things I always liked about LeBron was I felt like he went to Miami to try to chase the championship. He went back to LeBron, uh, to Cleveland to try to bring a championship to LA. I really liked that he was trying to formulate these championship teams. I think the more he sees MJ's six titles kind of out of reach and he's getting older. I think he has shifted his priorities somewhat. He still wants to be great. He still wants to win, but I think he does want to settle down somewhere and finish in LA, especially when you look at, look, man, he wants, he's already set up for life after basketball with his movie career, with his production career, with his show, you know, the shop on HBO, like all the stuff that he wants to do after basketball, which is going to be another half of his life. He wants to do it in LA. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. You know, I think much like we talk about the Juwan Howard situation in Michigan and how the timing of it may end up being sort of a parachute for if things don't go well, I think the dysfunction in, in L.A. with that front office with Magic and Rob Palinka and Jeannie Bush and the coaching staff or whatever sets LeBron up to be able to kind of segue into this maybe a little bit more smoother. And what I mean by that is like if they – don't reach the Western Conference Finals or another NBA Finals. If LeBron never wins another title, I think he will not be at fault for that. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, and and maybe before even when he came, there was high expectations because LeBron had gone to eight straight finals and they had this young core. Um, and you're taking a look at sort of the the playoff droughts that the Lakers are currently on. You factor in also what the Warriors are doing right now and, and the future of if Kevin Durant ends up staying or even if he doesn't stay. What we've seen from Golden State is just sort of like. Okay, well, he beat Golden State once in 2016. You know, obviously got the Cleveland Cavaliers back, and, and he just couldn't slay the dragon because nobody, Houston Rockets can't, the Portland Trailblazers can't. You know, so I think I think at the end of the day, you know, I think to you know what you were saying about his other interests, and we've already seen that with, you know, HBO-type stuff, yep. movie-type stuff, I think he's setting himself up, and I think he'll be fine. 
You know what's crazy is when you look, we just had his career numbers up there from his last year in Cleveland and his first year in LA. They're not that much different. Like he's pretty much the same player he was. And yet we act like he's over the hill all of a sudden before he got hurt, before he missed that 14 game stretch, they were a playoff team. They were set up to be there. Yes. It went downhill fast after that. I think he probably came back too fast, which is another reason I admire. Like he tried to make a run at the end when he could have saved himself and shut it down for the rest of the season. He didn't. Um, but I think there's if if they do land Anthony Davis, if they do land Kawhi Leonard, it's a totally different conversation it, we're having. Like changes like it. that. I mean, all it takes is one signing, um, you know, and to move a couple guys, make a couple moves, and all of a sudden, and that's where the discussion has been so um, worthwhile. Of well, do you trust Rob Palenka and Jeannie Buss and everything else that's going around? That's the thing I have the biggest concern about. Like, yes, then I think it is a concern. Can you lure some of those potential free agents like Kevin Durant, like uh, Kawhi Leonard, like Kyrie Irving? Could they reunite Kyrie and him? Possible, for sure. But I think it makes it look really unattractive when your coach that you wanted, if you're LeBron and Ty Lue, yeah. you know, passes on it because they can't come up, come to a deal, an agreement, and then you move on and you hire Frank Vogel, who, yes, he's a respected name, but I don't think – He's exactly you know going to be a destination spot for another free agent. So that to me is the big concern. I do think LeBron probably finishes there, and I think if you're a Lakers fan, there's a sliver of hope in there somewhere, right? So I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how this thing plays out. I would say we always overreact. I think we probably overreacted. Now that it's, the dust has settled somewhat, let's see how it plays out. Now the dust is settled, but it's starting to get kicked back up because you got guys like Josh Hart who are on the team. Oh boy, going off. On um, he was on Gilbert Arenas' No Chill podcast, mm-hmm. and so he went off on this anti-analytics rant, uh, rant saying, "Quote: You telling me that this dude that's 45 that never played basketball doesn't have athletic bone in his body? You're going to tell me how to play basketball?" Uh, he then he went on Twitter. I love when people who don't know anything about basketball try to give their opinion. If y'all knew that much, y'all wouldn't be where y'all are. I'll say this. He might have wanted to Google Frank Vogel's resume before he said 45-year-old that never played, uh, doesn't have an athletic bone in his body and going to tell me how to play basketball. Frank Vogel is 45. Uh, he might be athletic, but he was a student manager when he was in college. Yeah, he did some stupid human tricks on David Letterman. I don't think those qualify as athletic. You might want to just slow down a little bit with some of your rhetoric when your coach fits the exact description of what you just ripped. He was going off, and it was, gosh, you know, and I looked at that clip with him in Gilbert Arenas, and he just comes off as, you know, he's had other tweets before, too, is like, man, if you didn't ball, you don't know what you're talking about, and I won't listen to you. And what you said right there, exactly what Frank Vogel is, a, a 45-year-old white <laughs> guy that never, never played. played, and now he's going to be his head coach talking about that. <laughs> Basketball, I think, you know, obviously analytics is, is increasingly becoming a part of, of every sport. Obviously, baseball is at the forefront of that. Mm-hmm. And now, though, you have basketball, and we talk about PER and efficiency ratings and, and what that means. And it's, it's it's tough to gauge in basketball more than it is in baseball. I think people accept the analytics more in baseball and how fast it's coming. The Josh Hart stuff is just like, I mean, what are you doing here, man? Like, you're just coming out, you're saying, like, if you didn't play, then I'm not going to listen to you. But I think that is an NBA-type thing where – Again, how tough it is to be a coach in the NBA as opposed to being in the college ranks where you can be more instructive and, and people are more adept to listening to what you have. And when you get to the NBA level, it's like unless you've won before, there seems to be this like, I'm not going to listen to you. I wonder if as you as the next athlete, does that happen more in football as well? So Josh Hart, his sentiment, I would say, is what every single player feels. There is a animosity 
from players towards, I wouldn't say coaches, um, but definitely towards media when the media is critical of you as the player and they never played. And it's a weird dynamic because not they're around you all the time. Not character? No, 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 no not talking character. About, talking about the actual physical. Yeah, like, no, but it's, 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 they get annoyed. There's nothing more annoying than a player being told by somebody who hasn't played, you're no good at your job. You don't know what you're doing. You screwed up in this game. It's just, and that's the natural undertone of every player when they're doing the post-game presser. And you hear it come out sometimes when you get a sideways look at a question. Mm -hmm. A player might pop off and say something snarky back to a reporter after a question. But in the back of their mind, even if they are professional and they give a good answer and they come back, as soon as they walk out of that room, they're being, I can't believe this clown asked me that question like he knows the sport. Like, it's just a natural feeling. Now, I used to feel that way. I was 100% that way. I could not stand. I would sit in my locker in New York after a Giants game, and I had thrown three picks, and I got these dudes out there who never played, didn't have an athletic bone in their body, but they would act like they knew what the mistake was, and then I knew they were going to write rip me after, and it drove me nuts. Now, when I got into this business, I realized that you don't have to play to have an opinion. Okay. You don't have to play to be knowledgeable at a sport. Yes, there are certain things that it helps to have played, but I totally respect that part of the business. But the majority of players can't stand being criticized. Uh, someone that's never done it. That's someone that's never done it. And that's in the back of their mind. I'm just telling the truth of what players think. It's not right. Yeah. It's not respectful. But that's what's happening in the back of their mind. And I think you've, it's been interesting that you've seen, you know, David West popped off when the Houston Rockets got bounced from the playoffs with Sam, but you know, analytics, bro, whatever the tweet was. Yeah. You saw more guys get a little bit more vocal about the analytics crowd. And you know why it is? Because the analytics crowd are running front offices and paying money and signing off on stuff and getting guys signed and getting them cut. And that bothers players now that they're, the, their livelihood is being decided by guys who never played. And that bothers them. I guarantee you it bothers them deep down. It's, man, it is a interesting thing because obviously I'm on the side that has never played either at a, at a college level or sure. obviously pro level. But obviously if you watch something, you, you get a sense and a feel. And again, I'll go back to like football. Like, so for instance, like, let's just say HQ sent you and Pete Prisco to a playoff game, right? right. And then you guys see the same thing. And Pete watches a lot. Of Absolutely. Films, he knows what he's talking about. Cover the league three plus years, but you guys ask the same question. An athlete that's going to be up to, I don't know. Let's just say it's Travis Kelsey. We've had him on yep. Super Bowl week. You know, it's like, right. Did you automatically sort of like dismiss Prisco? Oh, 100%. Oh, but they'll take what you say, even though you guys said the same thing. 100%. It's the natural gut reaction from a player is at least this guy knows what it, what it feels like. At least this guy has seen it through a helmet. You know, and it doesn't make it right. right. And I'm not, I'm, trust me, I'm not defending the player's mindset. And, but I have evolved is. into this position over time. Like I've worked beside guys. I know, like I know how much time you put into it. Pete Prisco puts into it. Other guys that I've worked with studying the game. And they are incredibly knowledgeable about it. And, they, and a lot of times, especially when you get into broadcasting, the guys that didn't play study more than the guys that did. They are more knowledgeable about the current players than the guys who played. They're kind, you know, the, the players rely too much on their experience and not off on preparation, and it kind of flips. So I would kind of trust some of the insight from guys that didn't play as opposed to did. Does that make sense? Yeah, a little bit. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of look at what players uh, who think, because uh, there have been plenty of players who have played the game and been there and been awful coaches and awful GMs. It doesn't give them any insight into how to run an organization or how to coach a player or how to tell somebody what to do. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. Uh, all right. 
We're going to take a break. NFL owners meetings. We should have done a live remote show from Key Biscayne, like out by the pool, because that's where they are. There's some interesting uh, rule changes that have taken place. Uh, we'll talk about those next on Canelo and Bell. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell. Tommy Tran hanging out with me today. Raja's off for the day. So the NFL owners meetings are taking place. I wonder, what do you think goes on there? You would like, know better than I do. No, I mean, I, but I was never an owner, right? I think they just kind of hang out, they chill, they go over some stuff, and then they probably head to the golf court. Like, I was a player rep, and that's what that was like. Mm. We used to go to Hawaii. We'd have some meetings starting, like, they get them early because of the time change. So we'd get in there at, like, 7, and we'd have breakfast. We'd go over kind of the latest issues. Sure. But then, like, at 11, guys started, like, lacing up their golf shoes right. and, like, starting to bounce and just, like, looking at their watch, like, let's get this thing moving. Like, I wonder if when they're talking about overtime changing, if they're like, all right, let's, let's, let's just vote so we right. can get out to the golf Maybe course. It was a hard hour. Yes. It's like any, any, like, pharmaceutical convention, any, like, produce, uh, gathering, especially when you're having it in a place like Miami, there's about an hour or two. And then there's like a mixer of a social hour, but everything else, everyone goes out and do their own thing. And I think it's just uh, unwind and relax. A yeah, exactly. And then at night, probably they have a pretty good time too. And I bet there are cliques that develop too. Oh yeah. Like certain owners hang with them and there's probably some outcast guy that nobody likes and they're like, that guy's the nerd or whatever it is. Right. I'm sure that happens as well. A couple of things that they, uh, that they got to were NFL draft locations. I think this was one of the smartest moves the NFL has made in the last 20 years. The draft was great when it was Radio City Music Hall. It was fun, but getting it out on the road, getting it to Philly, to Dallas, we were there in Nashville, it was, it really does bring a new element to it, a new interest, and you bring in fan, more fans. I think the attendance has been up, viewership has been up. I think it was a genius idea. I don't know who came up with it, but they need to give that person a raise in a hurry. So you brought up Philly, Dallas, Nashville. Yep. Then in 2021, Cleveland. 2023, Kansas City. Oh, don't forget City. 2020. Vegas, baby. Yeah. Vegas. <laughs> but, outside, but outside of Vegas, yep. what's the common theme on this list here? Ooh. Um... Like the perennial, like blue blood programs. The uh, is that what you're saying? No. What are you going with? Cold weather cities. Oh, interesting. So what they're doing now is what I'm taking a look at this is, and and, and you're right, it is a smart move because now the draft has become the spectacle. It's become what we cover. We we threw a lot of things yeah. we were a part of. Right. We had we we're on location. We were from our Stanford, Connecticut offices. The draft is basically one notch below the Super Bowl. It's like it's like having a college football playoff. And then there's the national title game. I think what you rotate this, you allow cities that generally would not be able to host Super Bowls or be very hard for them outside of building a brand new stadium to allow to have this type of event and this type of buzz. And we saw how successful it's been in those cities, including Nashville most recently. Vegas is going to be great because it's Vegas and the Raiders are on their way there. But now you're talking about Cleveland and Kansas City. I mean, when's the next time they're going to get a Super Bowl? Right. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> right. Know, exactly. But now they get something else with this yep. NFL draft, and it's probably the next best thing. It's a good observation, too. Vegas, by the way, is going to be insane. I can't wait for that. Like, I'm already have the draft. <laughs> like, the, in my office, there's a little countdown yeah. clock. It's already planned it out there. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, the other thing they talked about was overtime. Uh, the Chiefs earlier this offseason, like, right when they got bounced from the playoffs, I'm sure they started this proposal because they were the team that really got hurt by it in that AFC championship game when the Patriots drove down the field, scored, and they didn't get a chance to get the ball. I... I wish 
NFL, I wish the NFL would go to college football overtime, but tweak it, move it back to the 40 or 45 so it's a little bit more of a challenge. I think it would be incredibly entertaining. I think it would be more fun. You get all the elements. You get offense, defense, and the special teams come into play. I think that's a pipe dream. I don't think that will ever happen. I am okay if you say, all right, both teams are going to touch the ball. I think your quarterback is the most important position in the game. I get defense is a major part of it. But I, I think it, I would be okay with it. And eventually, I think it does get passed. I would be okay with it, but I am perfectly fine the way it is right now. You gotta play some defense. And if you get the chance to stop them and you, you hold them to three, you get the ball back. If you don't, you lose the game. I, you know, I just think it's okay. And I know it didn't hurt, uh, the Chiefs because it was their one opportunity to get back to the, the Super Bowl. But, um, you know, I'm not opposed to either one, but I'm perfectly fine. If they said, Hey, let's just keep it the way it is. I'm good. The worst rule that they've implemented this offseason, it was such a reactionary rule because the NFC champion game when you had the non-call the pass interference is this pass interference uh review proposal which has been tweaked a couple times and i think all this tweaking that you're seeing shows how complex it is and how it's not going to be an easy task um so it was like is it going to be a coach's uh challenge is it going to be a booth review what is it going to be so now they've got and it's going to be in the last two minutes it's going to be the entire game so um the update is that the owners voted to amend the rule change again, deciding in a 31-1 vote that review of pass interference penalties, called and uncalled, would have to be initiated by a coach's challenge throughout the entire game, including the last two minutes of a half-hour game. But, like, and not included in here is the asterisk of what could possibly happen on Hail Marys. They're thinking of making that, like, an exempt play that doesn't have review because they're contact. Like, do you want to have review or not? I say no. I'm okay. I think the rare instance is what happened in an NFC championship game. I don't think that's going to happen that frequently. It's I'm okay with a part of human error in the game if an official misses a call or not. Bringing in replay is just going to make people more confused. You're going to be able to really nitpick different plays, and there's going to be more controversy with review than without. And again, when, how often does this particular situation happen where you have that? And again, as egregious as it might be, and I know it's determining a, a spot to go to the most important game for, you know, an NFLer's career, it's just, you're opening Pandora's box. And yep. you brought up a, a couple of great points, like a Hail Mary. Then, then it's like if, if games weren't already long enough and slow enough and broken down enough, I, it, it'd be, it just, Especially in the playoffs, it's, it's going to be really tough. Yeah, to for, for sure. Uh, all right. A, a topic that has gotten me into a little bit of trouble on Twitter because Twitter does not like some of my comments on it, although it is really hard to get context uh, when you just type something out, sure. is uh, marijuana use in the NFL. So Chris Long, he's a good dude. Like I like Chris Long. He's been very vocal on a lot of matters. He's become a fan favorite of a lot of people. He's had a tremendous amount of success. So he was on Dan Patrick's show and admitted to using marijuana. It was like, ah, like people freak out about it. Um, and he's become this advocate for, um, using marijuana in the NFL as an alternative to opioids for pain management. I think all of this is good. Like I am all about having the open dialogue for it. I, have no problem if the NFL did away with their policy now, which is a joke, by the way. The NFL tests once a year for marijuana use. They test all the time for performance-enhancing drugs, yeah. you know, the stuff that matters as far as, you know, in, enhancing your performance. But for marijuana, for, you know, street drugs, it's once a year. You know roughly the timeline of when it's going to be, and you just have to be smart about it. It's literally an IQ test if uh, to stay out of trouble with the drug program. If you get busted while you're there, then it becomes a major hassle and you can find yourself in there 
uh, you know, twice a week. They can test you anytime throughout the year. It's a major hassle if you enter the program, which is if you have a positive test, if you have a DUI, if you have some other um, offense related outside of football, they'll put you in the program, yeah. and it is a nightmare to deal with. Um, the problem I have with it, again, if I was if I was an owner, I would probably be saying, "What are we doing?" You know, like what what is what matters? It's already a joke. It's just for show. The fact that they like to be able to to trot out to their advertisers and to family football that we are an anti-marijuana league, but they've already been more open about uh, potentially using it for pain management. Like, just do away with this stupid policy and let players do what they want. Let them make their own decisions according to what state they uh, live in, and I think it would be okay. Now, where I got in trouble on Twitter was I said... I just there's there's has to be a debate somewhere. I feel like we've gone the pendulum always swings in our society, it seems, on different issues, and marijuana is one of them, where I feel like we've gone too far where it's almost like, hey, marijuana is like a vitamin. It can be good for you. Mm. And I don't think we ever consider the risks that are involved with it. I, and that's that's what bothers me with the conversation that I saw playing out after Chris Long made these comments. And here's Chris Long, some of his tweets, typical day, got an interview <laughs> to talk about retirement, got asked about uh NFL drug testing, and I end up admitting I smoke the devil's lettuce sometimes. Worst part is my three-year-old son sees it on his timeline before I can give him, quote, the talk, emotionally drained. It is one of the most obviously hot topic, debatable stuff. And I think what happens, too, and again, you have a much larger Twitter following than most of us have, but it's just sort of the not even open to listening. It's just sort of like you put it out there, and then it's it's sort of however you land, you're just using it as a springboard for you know, pinging off of it and then without even really listening. Cause I've seen a couple of your responses too. And it's just like, people are just like waiting to respond right? or use you as a vessel to quote tweet and said, Oh, look at Danny saying this, like this guy's gaslighting this whole situation and blah, 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 you know? And I think, but that's the thing, the interesting thing to me, the biggest takeaway for, for, for me with the Chris Long thing is just sort of like the timing, obviously like he's and he, you know, it's not the first time he's been open about talking about, not maybe not the specific subject, but, you know, he may have a future in broadcasting. It'll be interesting to see how players think about him divulging some of this stuff and saying, oh, well, I kind of, like, got around it because then to you. Well, the media will love these comments. Oh, they'll yeah, well, love it because they'll run with them to use sure. and, and uh, to put forth whatever agenda they want to use. Um, like, I think that's that's where I think it's good to have an open dialogue. But a dialogue usually involves multiple voices and different opinions. And it just seems to me like we go in one direction. Like, I've heard other guys say, you know, hey, the NFL – is not um it's a privilege right and they have a right to a higher standard that would be the anti like hey let's keep the drug testing in place let's do it there i understand that view i totally understand that view you know like as a father of kid like yeah i want my player i want my my kids to look up to these stars like they're these great pristine players but in reality having played and seen 60 70 percent of players use marijuana i'm like well why don't we just be more honest about it you know what i mean like but no one you know that that isn't that conversation never really comes up. Yeah. That's where I think Chris Long. I think and a lot of it. You know, I saw Chris Long was taking some heat and he was actually getting annoyed by it because they were saying, "Oh, you can say this because you're white, right?" Which and he wasn't getting skewered by it. Which there is definitely some truth in that, but he wasn't trying to play that card at all. He was trying to open up a conversation about marijuana use in the NFL, which I think is a good thing, and it does bring light to what a joke the policy is. And, of course, if it's better than opioids, which are a major problem in our country, if it's better than alcohol abuse, which I've seen that firsthand up, in the yeah. NFL, then absolutely it's better. There are a lot of things that I am that I totally agree with Chris Long. 
It's just I don't like when it comes the narrative becomes, hey, this is good for you. That's where I as a father, I'm like, we need to really slow our roll with some of the conversation on marijuana. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And I think what what complicates thing is the emergence of what really as a country that we've had now with both sports gambling and even just states legalizing marijuana, CBD, if there's all the gray areas of CBD type thing, that furthers people again who have a stake one way or the other to either push it forward or to push it back as far as they can for as long as they can. That's going to be the thing. Yep, for sure. Look at that politics we got to here on <laughs> Off the Bench. Don't really love it. It's a little bit uncomfortable and people really get fired up about it. We're just two dudes like having a conversation. That's, That's it. We're not trying to shove anything down your throat. All right, welcome back to Kinell and Bell. It is episode 300. It's hard to believe. It's gone by really fast. Yeah, it's crazy how time oh. flies. Look at that. We got a little Snapchat filter there, the confetti flowing. See, it's special. We're partying. We're going to pop the bottles right after we the show, cigars. like right out there. It doesn't oh, yeah. matter if it's 11 o'clock. Look at that. Oh, oh look at the 300. Is that you? Hey, let me the background. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Peeking over the back there. Is, are you on the pile of bodies? Is that I, where you well, are? Just, like, I'm, just I'm in the left. back. Out of the 300, I'm sorry, because I've, 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 uh, co-hosted and guest building <laughs> yeah, about a absolutely. dozen or so you are pretty I much you I bet you guys lead the way though no but you He's pretty much are the third member of uh canel and bell yeah we got to get hannah yes, we got to get yes, hannah put in HQ. there too oh yeah she spent a lot of time job. on uh sure. a lot of those episodes no too but i like that photoshop job uh well done right there uh patrick Mahomes had an incredible uh season last year 50 touchdowns was off the charts his pregame warm-ups, I'm sure you've seen him, they go viral sometimes. He just heaves the ball out of practice and they, like, it's hard to tell from a cell phone camera. You just tell it's a bomb. You can yeah. tell it's going a long way. Some reports are like, hey, it's 75, it's 80 yards. That's a long, long, long way. He said on the, uh, Pardon My Take podcast that when they go to Mexico City in Azteca Stadium, mm-hmm. he asked how far he could throw it. He said probably a hundred yards. I would say, that's like, that's a pretty strong embellishment. I would give him 90. Okay. Uh, factoring the altitude, factoring, which is higher I think, than Denver. So I'm going by golf. Okay. okay. So I'm going by golf because in golf, you get 10% longer distance on your ball. So I'm saying if he throws at 80 okay. at sea level, he's going to get an extra eight yards. So I'm going to, I'm going to even give him the benefit of an extra two yards <laughs> okay. and say he can get it 90. I would put, Meaningful dollars that he cannot throw at a hundred dollars, a hundred yards. Gosh, yeah. I, if you tell me I a bet, like we we need to make this happen. Like now that he said it, we need to see if he can do it. I don't way, think he can do it. Are we convinced he's got the strongest arm? Josh Allen, you don't think will be right there too? Yeah, I think. Yeah, he would. There would absolutely be. By the way, I'd love to see that dual off. I know there's industry. Oh, blocks, for sure. There does. There is. These, I, I would say Mahomes looks more effortless. Okay, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. and he's throwing no look passes. And he's throwing off balance. I think, you know, when. I absolutely, Allen does have a cannon for an arm, but I think we're just doing distance error, so we'll see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you did miles per hour, there's a lot of different ways you could do arm strength. Uh, it could be pretty funny. Do you know I actually got to do an arm, uh, a longest throw competition? How'd you go? How'd you so go? the NFL Network has pretty much outed me as a quarterback because you know my my daughters, they're 11, 10, and six. They don't get on Google all the time, so they look at me and they see my jerseys in my office, my helmet, and they just think, oh, he played in the NFL. He must have been like Peyton Manning, like yeah. he was awesome. They don't, they never looked up my stats, not yet anyway. They haven't looked up my touchdown interception ratio and they dang sure didn't look up my 98 quarterback challenge, which was in Orlando. So I threw it 68 yards. Uh, Brett Favre, I think won it. I think he beat Cordell Stewart was in the competition wow. at around 77 or 78 yards. Uh, they were throwing bombs. I think right now, how far do you think you can throw a football right now? Me? Yeah. Oh, 30, 40 yards. 30, 40. I think I could get it 57. Wow. 
which isn't that far. Like, I, I think I could get it 57 yards. I think it's about as far as I could throw it. I am in pretty good shape. There's just something about throwing a football every day. Now, when we're talking about him throwing, is he, is he getting two steps to throw? Oh, yeah. You get a crow hop. You get okay. all that stuff. Okay. If it's just if it's just flat out how far can you throw it, you just have to, it's like the javelin throw. Like, you just have to stay behind the line. Like, you can't go over the line. You just got to throw it and let it and just heave it. I just want to see. I would love. I want to see it too. Mahomes. They need to bring back the NFL challenge. Like just the quarterbacks. I know they do the Pro Bowl and they have, but I don't see the the Pro Bowl's gotten kind of like wonky. Like it's they do all like the water bucket carry and some really like stupid stuff. I want to see a legit quarterback challenge. You know, like I want to see them get out there and have the moving targets. They do some of it, but I want to see out there just quarterbacks, all of them, not just three or four that made the Pro Bowl. I want to see all of them, top to bottom. When's the last time they had the NFL Challenge? Has it been a while? I don't know. It's been a while because they had the quarterback club, which yeah. was like a marketing thing. Yeah, yeah. And I was in there for one year, which was a great year. It was probably the greatest year of my life, and I probably had too much fun, which is why I got kicked out pretty soon. <laughs> I didn't get kicked out. It just wasn't asked to come back. back. Come back yeah. Um, yeah. So. All right, uh, we're finishing off here, episode 300. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you go check out, subscribe and download. Why not? We got 300 on there you can listen to. Tomorrow we'll break down game five, Raptors Bucks.